Praise the Lord. This is Brother Julius Adewumi. I'm going through the Gospel of Matthew and we are going to teaching this Gospel from chapter by chapter and I will read and pause and then give some commentary or exposition and may go to other Bible verses or refer to some other Bible verses comparing scriptures with scriptures. And now we are in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew. I pray that the Lord will give me utterance and give do the listeners insight in some of these things that the Lord teaches us and the one that is miracles as we explain as we as we read through it. Amen. So let's go through it. Matthew chapter twelve. The Lord help us. Amen. Gospel of Matthew chapter twelve of verse one. At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day <coughs> through the corn and his disciples were an hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Let's see how the Lord Jesus Christ will expose to them. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was an hungry and they that were with him you see that in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 3 to 6. How he entered into the house of God and did eat the shoe bread, or shoe bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So he showed the law was trying to refer them back to examples of what they are talking about. Sabbath, they, they think the, the disciples by going to the field and plucking the corn and eating it there, that they are, they are doing something that is not lawful because according to them, that is their labor. That's what they classify. Even in Israel, you know, I was reading this, an article where somebody said, in Israel right now, all these rabbinical Jews that wanted to keep following the law of Moses, they don't even, if they go into a, into a high-rising building in, in Jerusalem or in, in Israel on a Sabbath day, which is Saturday, that they will not even touch the button. If they touch the button to press, to go up or to go down, to floor number so and so, that they are laboring if they do that. <laughs> I mean, they, they will go into the, so during that Sabbath day, what they did, what they was told, I've never been to Israel, but people that have gone there, and as well in those big cities like Tel Aviv and so on, Jerusalem, if there's a five-story building with elevator that takes you up or down, on the Sabbath day, they automatically program the elevator so that it will just go from floor one to two to three to four and stop at every floor so that the, the Jews that want to keep the Sabbath won't need to press the button. They just stay there and you can't press the button that you are going up. Like we have to press the button to go up. Just wait till the door open and when the door open, you enter and you don't press the button just keep watching until it goes to floor one or floor two or floor three and 
So by so doing, they are not pressing the button, they assume that they are not laboring. Because if you press the button, you are laboring. I <laughs> say, well, that's how religion can tie people up. So that is exactly what they were doing also in the days of Lord Jesus Christ. They said, if you go into the field on the Sabbath day, you are hungry and you just plug the thing and eat it right there in the field, they say you are laboring. What about if you want to eat? Do you have to, yeah, you can eat. If the corn is already in your, in your house, you can eat it. You are not laboring then. But if you have to go and pluck it from the field, then you are laboring. Even just one that you pluck, not that you went there and harvest it on that day. So they have all, so when they saw the disciples plucking the, as they're passing by, and they're hungry, they see corn, they pluck it and start eating it, not that they're pulsing and taking it for harvesting. So this one, they are not to do that on the Sabbath day. You are not to pluck anything from the field. Anything that is already on the floor, maybe you can pick it from the floor. I don't know what they are even allowed to pick it from the floor. But uh, that was what they were saying. And the Lord was trying to remind them that see, they are taking the Sabbath to the point that it's, it's not what God intended. And so the Lord reminded them, some of those things they are taking, your violence. He said, look at what David even did when he was alive, before he became king. He went to the tabernacle of God and said he was hungry in their food. And the priest said, well, we don't have any common bread here. That is the regular bread that anybody can eat. But there's always a bread that God told Moses that they should put a loaf of bread on, in, on the altar every day. A loaf, fresh loaf of bread every day. And the evening they take the loaf of bread out and put new fresh loaf of bread every day. But he said, if you do that every day, the priests will have so much loaf of bread that they don't eat, they can't eat everything. So they will have oh, so many loaves of bread that they just take out today because you know, unless you are eating bread every, yourself every day as a priest, that's when you run out, you eat the one that you put out of there today. Tomorrow we will see meet that of yesterday there. So that is why they have extra loaf of bread because they are hollow bread that they are put on the altar. So they have stack of it. So when David went there and was running away from King Saul and he was really hungry, he has not been passed, so I've not been able to eat for some days. And he went there with, can you give me some bread? And they said, we don't have common bread, but this hollow bread, we might even let you take it, but you see, it's not allowed for anybody else to eat except you are a priest. They said, but if you have at least clean yourself up, you have not been, you have not been sleeping with women for some time, maybe you'll be clean. I mean, that's what they mean by you are holy. If you have not slept with your wife for a day or two, then you can classify that you have hallowed yourself. So they say, if, the, if your young men with you have hallowed themselves, maybe they can eat the bread, but uh, that's all we have here. We don't have normal common bread. So David said, give it to me. Uh, it's, it's just as common as anything. And that is what the Lord was referring to, that the, have you not read what David did when he was an hungered, and, uh, and they that were with him, that's not just David. David went in there and got the bread and gave it to some of those servants that were with him. But for how he entered into the house of God and did eat the shoe bread. They call it shoe bread. The show, they put it on the table every day and take it out every day. God is not eating it. <laughs> they call it show bread. The which was not long for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Then he also mentioned, have you not read in law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Because you say you shouldn't labor on the Sabbath day, you don't work on the Sabbath day. But the priests that are in the temple are working because that's their job. They are the one that will incense. They are the one that will do all the sacrifices. That's their job. So that's a labor. But they are blameless because that's allowed because they are doing it for God, not so. 
and Christ is saying, what he is doing actually is for God. That's when they are confronting him about healing the sick and so forth with somebody. Verse 6. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Christ is saying he himself is greater than the temple because it's God that manifested. But they, are, they, were not, they were not accepting that. They are not believing that. The Pharisees won't believe that. Verse 7. But if ye had known what this meaneth, and we have mercy and not sacrifice, you will not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So the Lord Jesus Christ said, He is Lord even of the Sabbath day. That is, He is the Lord of all things, and is, the Sabbath day is still under Him. Verse 9. When He was departed thence, He went to their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And these are all these things. Uh, uh, Matthew listed all this together as to point out all the complaints that the Jews had about Christ that have to do with Sabbath day. The day they were plucking corn on the Sabbath day and eating it, he said that they complained about that. The day he healed the sick, and somebody did complain about that. So that's why Paul and Matthew listed all of them together here. So it may not be the same day, it may also be the same. He said, when he was departed, he went to the synagogue. So behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, say, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. Then said he to the man, Stretch forth the hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored whole like as the other. So the Lord healed that particular man on that Sabbath day. You say, well, why will, why, will, why will you not try to obey? God is not respecting men. See, God Almighty does not respect, He's not showing the respectability of men. He does what the, the, the Lord God, the Spirit says. And here's another example. Verse 14 says, And then the Pharisees went out and early counseled against Him how they might destroy Him. But when, they, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from them, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive, nor cry, Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he sent for judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. You see that in the book of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Isaiah prophesying about the, the lifestyle of the Messiah, that in his name the Gentiles shall trust. And when you look at the History of the Hebrews, history of Israel. Who's, who, are, who are the Gentiles trusting? Gentiles mean any, any non-Jewish people, which are all of us that are non-Jews are Gentiles, all over the world, Gentiles. But which of the rulers in Israel or 
prophets in Israel we are looking up to? Jesus. In his name shall the Gentiles trust. The prophets, I say, I have been prophesying this before even he was born. In his name the Gentiles shall trust. So the Gentiles are not trusting in King David. The Gentiles are not looking up to Moses, the prophet Moses. The Gentiles are not even looking up to Abraham. No. The Gentiles are not looking to any of the prophets or kings in Israel. But you see, when Jesus Christ came and the gospel was going to the Gentiles, in his name, the Gentiles are trusting. We are trusting the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. To save us from hell and from the lake of fire and heal of our body also. So that is what has been prophesied. So that's why if any Jew of our generation doesn't want to accept Jesus as their Messiah, I think they are making serious fatal mistake. Fatal mistake. Why? Because the Bible has made it clear in his name. The only name among all the kings and prophets of Israel that the Gentiles are looking up to till the end of the world, all over the world. The only name is Jesus, Yeshua, Jehovah's Savior. Yeshua Almasu. That is the only name, Jesus, the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only prophet, the only ruler, the only king, and king to be. Whether king or ruler or prophet, that the whole Gentile world is looking up to among the believers now. And only Jesus Christ. That's why the, Bible, the prophecy of Isaiah has already said it. So we ought to know then that Jesus is that Messiah that the Jews of that generation did not accept. And some Jews of this generation are still rejecting it because they are great, great grandfathers told them lies that uh, those, are, those are Gentile people that trusted in him. Yes, Gentiles trusted in him. Yes. That's what the prophet Isaiah was saying. Now, verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, in so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? That means the people were saying, it's not this the son of David they were waiting for. Because in their generation, they were waiting for a son of David that will become king in Israel. So that is, a, a, they were thinking of a political messiah. So when the Lord started doing all this, I wonder, so I wonder, I began to say, maybe this is the son of David we are waiting for. That's what the question meant. It's not this the son of David, that is the one we are waiting for, the savior that will save us, but you see, they were, many of them were thinking of political messiah. That he will become king, and then, of course, he will drive away the Roman Empire. So that was what they had in their mind. But you see, the Lord God had a different plan to save the human race, mankind, from sin first, before we talk about the physical kingdom that will be coming when Christ comes back. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, I mean, the Pharisees are always around there to watching the signs and miracles, but when they heard the people saying, this one be the son of David, and they didn't want to accept him as the son of David they are waiting for, ah, they would try to raise any accusation or persecution. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, oh, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So they knew Beelzebub. I don't know how they knew Beelzebub, but they have attributed somebody some spirit as Beelzebub was supposed to be the prince of the devils. And that's what they call it, the prince of the devils. So they were saying the power that this man is using to cast out devils is through the power of the, the, the prince of the devils. And Jesus Christ knew their thoughts, verse 25, and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. 
And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if by if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Now what the Lord meant here was, he has sent the apostles out to cast out devils, give them authority, and they also have gone out and do the same thing, cast the devils out, heal the sick. And is that, those are the people who say your children. The children are the, the, the Israelites that he has chosen as disciples, the, the apostles, they were also Jews, or Israelites. So he shows them and he said that they are, they are your children. He didn't classify himself as your children because he is from heaven. Christ is from heaven. He said, I come down from heaven. So, but of course, they thought he was just a, a Galilean from, uh, from, from Nazareth. But he said, I came down from heaven. So that's why he didn't attribute himself to be your, your children. He said, oh, if I by Bezebub cast out the wolves, by whom do your children cast them out? That is, is pointing, uh, most likely point to the Apostles that he has sent out to do the same thing. So therefore, they shall be your judges. That is, he, Christ is saying he has appointed his 12 apostles that they will judge the Jews, the Israelites. Because he was in a place was telling uh, Peter and the rest that ye 12 shall sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that is what uh, the Lord was alluding to in this, in this verse when he said, therefore they shall be your judges. That is, the, the disciples that he has chosen the twelve are going to join the twelve tribes of Israel in the end. Verse 28. See, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. That is, if, he, if, the, if, you, if you know that it is the Spirit of God that is casting these devils out, then you know that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God means the rulership of God on, on that. So when we stand and pray for the sick and drive the devils out, we are bringing the rulership of God into that house, into, upon that body, to that person that we are delivering. It's the kingdom of God ruling on that, driving devils out from human beings. The kingdom of God is come upon us when we are praying for the sick and they get well. The kingdom of God is demonstration of the power of God. Verse 29, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. So the Lord was referring to the fact that Satan himself, who is the strong man, has been bound. So then the Lord is going about spoiling the strong man. Verse 30, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So that is a warning for even people of this generation also. And verse 32, you continue in that verse 32. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. That is, if they speak any word against him as he was around preaching to them, so he shall be forgiven them. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. While the Lord is talking about sinning against the Holy Ghost, because God was going to send the Holy Spirit to the body of believers. So that the Holy Spirit is the one that is going to be doing all those signs and wonders through we believers. 
And when the Holy Ghost is doing those signs and wonders and healing the sick through the believers, many people that do not believe may want to blaspheme and say that is not the Holy Spirit of God, that is from another source, satanic sources. That is to say they will not be forgiven. That's what the Lord is saying. Why? Because God is using human beings now. He came as God or not. He said, if you say this against me, he said, I will forgive you against But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon this, my disciples. They will be doing wonders and signs in my name. And the Holy Ghost is going to be using them. Now, if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, then he said, you will not be forgiven. Why? Because you have seen human beings like yourself. We are human beings like yourself. And God is using us to do all these things. And then you are blaspheming. That is not God, it is the enemy. He said, then, when you see uh, we have flesh and blood like you, and you refuse to accept what we preach to you, and you are blaspheming the power of God as using us, he said, then you will not be forgiven. So that's what the Lord is alluding to here. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. That is, all these people that are blaspheming against him, that they are corrupt. Oh, generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idol was. So that's one of the exhortations that the apostles, the, the apostle Paul was telling us to speak evil of no man. Speak evil of no man. Whether you believe in what they are doing or not, just don't speak. Just keep your mouth to yourself. Verse 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So the word of our mouth is very important. It's very, we have to be careful of what we say. The Bible says God is listening to every word that's coming out of our mouth. Even when God is searching the hearts and the reins. And he says, from the abundance of the earth, the mouth speaks. Somebody says, if, if you want to know what somebody is thinking of in, a, in his heart, just listen to what he's saying. That we say, from that abundance of the earth, the mouth will speak. So we should, we believers should be filled with the word of God in our heart so that the word of God is what is coming out of our mouth. Not evil thoughts, not evil things, not all those hatred. Say, by the words of your mouth thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. We have to be careful what we say. In fact, you, if you keep saying some negative things about even about yourself, you are planting some seed that is dangerous, that cannot be reversed. That's why you don't want to use your mouth to curse anybody. How much more cursing your own children? You have to be careful about that. He said that from, your, from the words of our mouth are very important. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we will see a sign from thee. And the Lord Jesus answered and said, He answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. You will say, what sign is that? He goes to explain. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
Now, what does that really mean? I want that they, they couldn't understand this thing you were saying. We can look back at history and understand what you meant. You said the sign of Jonas. Remember the story of Jonas? If you go to the book of Jonas, you will see the, the story in Jonas chapter 1. God said Jonas was a prophet in Israel. And God told him that go to Nineveh and go and prophesy against it. That in 40 days, that city will be destroyed unless they repent. But Jonas did not want to go because he didn't like Nineveh. He wanted God to destroy them. So he ran away. Ran away from, instead of going this way, he went the other way. So that God would not talk to him anymore. And when he was going away, he has to go through a ship. And in the, on the sea, on the sea where they were going, there was a storm. And in the end, the sea sailors casted him out of the ship because he told them he was running away from God. That's why the sea was troubling them. And they said, what should we do? He said, just throw me offboard. So they were, they were afraid, but they see that there is no other way. So they throw Jonah offboard. And but God prepared a whale, a big fish. The Bible says a fish. But Christ said, call it a whale here. It's a big fish that can swallow man. That has been reported now that these are those big whales in the ocean can swallow mummies. So that was how Jonah was swallowed by that whale. And inside that whale, he was crying unto God. He didn't die. And three days later, he was pulled out by the whale on the coast. And that was what the Lord was trying to do. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man himself will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But now they couldn't understand what that really means. They understand that Jonah was in the whale's belly. But you couldn't understand what Christ meant that he himself would be in the heart of the earth. He didn't explain to them. But we now know that he was talking about he will be buried after crucifixion for three days and then he will come back. So that was what he was referring to. But he said, when, they were, when he was saying it, nobody ever said things like that about himself going to die and bury and then come back. So they didn't understand. What do you mean by you will be, be on, in the heart for three days? They didn't understand that. Verse 41. The Lord continues, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonah, as he says, Christ is saying, the men of Nineveh, when they finally heard about Jonah's experience and Jonah kindly came into their midst and started preaching, and I want you to know that this was not recorded. But I, it is my suspicion that what really happened after those men threw Jonah off, off the boat and then the water ceased, I believe they, those, sheep, those men in the, in the ship, they got scared. That's my, that's my thought. They got scared and said, this man, they thought they have, they have killed him. Also. They thought they have killed him when they threw him out. But you told them what God sent him to go and do to Nineveh. That God told him to go and preach to Nineveh and he didn't want to go and he ran away. And that's why the sea wouldn't let them go. And he said, what do you want us to do for right now to save ourselves? He threw me off board. He was ready to die. So after the trial, he couldn't do anything. He said, well, let's just throw this one off board. And they threw him off board and the sea stopped. The waves and the trouble dropped. And they said, <gasps> and then they must have told one another that now this man told us we better go to Nineveh and go tell them we, this is our experience. I believe they turned around and went to Nineveh and went and told them, oh, wait, wait everybody listen. Everybody, listen, this is what happened. This is what happened. And, them, and that would have caught the, the king and everybody by surprise. The whole ship full of 500 some people 
came and told you in the, your city that this happened, this happened, this man was sent by God to go and warn you guys. And we throw him overboard and he's dead now. But because he told us this thing, we better warn you guys. And they went. And that's perhaps what happened that made the king say, really? So they didn't know what to do. Maybe four days later, the man that they thought had been killed came out with fish all around, uh, on his fish things all over his body. Because look, did he take his back after he come out of the belly of the whale? You can imagine all the mess up on his hair and everything. Like you say, this man looked like he has just been swallowed by a fish. Look at all these things, mucus on his head and so because he didn't take his back. No place to wash his hair. And he came walking around and the clothes perhaps is shrinkled, like someone that has just been dragged out of the out of the mud. And he came walking to this and said, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. He said, that is the man, that is the man. And the, the whole city will be afraid. Now they are afraid. Also, that is my way of thinking that that must have been what happened that made the king get off of his throne and say, everybody cry unto God for mercy. Because this is almost like a double witness. If those sailors came by and told them what they did on the boat, they told the man was dead, we throw him overboard. And so, but we are feared for you guys because he has already told us, we better come and tell you guys what he said God sent him to do. And he was running away. And then some weeks later or some days later, here comes this same man, they thought they have thrown overboard, walking to their city, screaming that God is going to destroy this place. That will make the king now afraid. Not so. You see, well, how come it was so effective? That was what I believe, why it was so effective. That the king himself gets up of his throne and says, everybody cry unto God. Because you have double witness. So that's what I believe made, made them to all tremble and cry unto God. Go and read the rest of the story in Jonah chapter, the book of Jonah chapter 2 and 3. Only three chapters, I believe. So that really believe is what makes uh, the story of Jonah to be Christ. And Christ said, greater than Jonah is here. Yes, Christ was crucified. Three days later, he came back. You know, the chief priests and so on still didn't believe. That was why the whole place was destroyed. For 1,000 and something years, the, the Israel was scattered worldwide. So God is to be feared, man. God is to be feared. He said, he greater than Jonas is here, and yet they didn't believe it. Verse 42, the queen of South, the queen of the South, that was the queen Sheba that came to visit Solomon when he heard about the wisdom of Solomon. Christ mentioned that also in verse 42. See, the queen of the south, that is the Ethiopian king, queen, shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, behold means, look, a greater than Solomon is here. I mean, God, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Solomon, with all the wisdom, Kings from everywhere were coming to just visit, just hear him talk, just to hear him give them wisdom. And the queen of Sheba came all the way from Ethiopia with entourage because he has heard all the stories about King Solomon. And he came and listened and said, well, God has done this for you. And he got so many things, she got so many things also from King Solomon. And the Bible, Jesus Christ was referring to that, that she came all the way from Ethiopia, from the south. Just to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon. He said, well, look, a greater than Solomon is here. And these Jews, chief priests and rulers are not believing him. And that's why he said, that, that queen of the south will judge this 
this generation. It's a generation. It's a generation that God was talking about. And that generation are the chief priests and the rulers of Israel that crucified him, Messiah, that didn't believe him. And that was why the whole place was destroyed. For 1,000 and something years, they started coming back in 1948. Look, that's 1,948. Before they started coming back as Jews. Because God was dealing with Jews. What about the Israel that have been scattered before that? Where God was no more referring to that, he was only referring to the Judea. Because that was the story followed the Judea, followed the Jews that went to Babylon and came back and rebuilt Jerusalem. And those were the, where the chief priests and the rulers were that were ruling in Israel during the time of our Lord Jesus Christ's preaching. And he stated that they didn't believe there would be a judgment. And that judgment was, was saying the Queen of the South rejoiced them because she came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. All the way, and they greater than Solomon is here, and they are not even following, they are not believing. Now, let's continue. Verse 43. So, the Lord was indicting that generation, that generation of Jews, is what God was indicting. And that was the generation that was cut out worldwide, destroyed. Of course, their descendants in every part of the world became the Jews that you see in diaspora right now. And some of them started coming back in 1948 and became a nation of Israel. Okay, so that is what we are seeing. Now, let's continue. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he said, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now, that story that the Lord just gave there, it looked like a parable, but the Lord was telling us what happened in the spirit. Giving us a window of a look into what happens in the spirit world. Those demonic spirits, when they possess a man, just say, a, a, a demonic spirit possess a man. And for once or the man was delivered or the man somehow was set free. The demon left the man, either by casting the devil out by the authority of God. The demon left the man. And what happened? He said he went looking for a place, other places. He went through dry, dry places, dry places, looking for another place. And he said he couldn't find another dry place. He decided that he was going back to his house. See, that was the lie of the devil. That was not his house. But, you see, they are possessed the person. So that's what you mean, possessed. That looked like their house. But see, that's but what happened. Why was, why was he able to come back? He said he was going to go back to his house where he came out. See, when he came, he found that the house was empty. That nobody is possessing it. Swept clean now. And garnished. But still empty. So what does that tell us? When you are set free, don't be empty. Feed yourself with Jesus. Because if that demon has come back and found a bigger spirit living there, he will run back. And the bigger spirit can't be a demon, it has to be God. So you are either filled with God, or you are filled with the devil, or you are empty. That is for we human beings. You are either filled with God, or filled with the devil, or you are empty. Empty means you are just like a, a vessel, empty cup. And then, the enemy, any devil, can come and enter that empty cup and make it wild and make it 
evil and make it violent and make it whatever they wanted to make it. But we are expected to be feared by God. And that is one of the reasons why when we witness to people and they want to give their hand to Christ, you invite Jesus to come and take over your residence. You come and take over your house. Christ said, I will make my abode with you. So God will come and be resident inside us as believers. So if you don't have Jesus in you, then you have either devil or you are empty. And you see what can happen to somebody that's empty? Demons can force themselves inside. This spirit said, he saw that he was, the place was garnished, swept, swept and garnished. Means that where the man, all the evil thoughts, ideas that was common to human beings was cleaned out. But as long as it's empty, the devils can bring back so much ideas and evil thoughts and bring it back and they live there. And all those ideas are the things the devil specializes in. Evil thoughts, evil, evil habits of ungodliness habits, which people can clean up by themselves. But if you are not free with God, you are still empty. And another devil can come and force himself in. So that's why the devil was able to go back. Then 45, verse 45 says, Then go out here, take care with himself. Seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So he said, Well, I, he was afraid to come and stay there by, by himself. You know? So he got more seven, seven more devils that are more wicked. And they forced themselves and stay there. So now he said, The last state of the man will be worse than the first. Like this, if the man was just a thief, picky pocket, now he's going to become armed robber. That's worse devils. Also. If the man was just a fornicator, now he's going to be prostitute, you know, making visits to every person, every person. If the woman is a, just a fornicator, if the devils take over, she will just become prostitute. See, that is worse than the first one. So that's what Christ said. That, but he's using this as an analogy for the generation rather than for a particular person. So he's saying that happens in the spirit world because we cast the devil out and the devil will go about and look for another place, he couldn't find a place to come back to his house. The Christ came and brought life. And if the Jews, the Jews of that generation refuse to accept him as the Messiah and he goes away, he said, the devils that have been driven away will come back with vengeance. And that is really what he was saying that even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. How will they come with vengeance? They come with vengeance, making them to hate the apostles and to want to do, and then judgment came upon them with uh, the Roman Empire. Because that's like uh, they became more violent, more, more, more evil. Verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now the, the way Matthew reported this particular story about his, the mother and the brethren coming was he didn't tell us the real story. Story of what, why they came. Because when you get to the other side in Luke, about that same story, it was reported that they were, because of the pressure of these rulers, the pressure by the Pharisees, telling them that your son is insane, is what you are saying, out of his mind, that you shouldn't be, be get him off the street. It's a Belzebub that's using it. So they were so pressed to the point that even Mary followed them to go and Talk to him to get out of the street. That was why they came. And you will see that in other uh, in Luke, how Luke reported it. 
that they came actually to get him off the streets because of uh, the pressure of the people that don't believe, the rulers that didn't believe. And they were pointing to and coming to his mom and saying, get your son out of the streets. He's insane. He's basically, as usually. So that's why they come. And Christ knew why they came. That's why he re replied to them like this. Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? Anyone that do the will of my father in heaven is my mother and my brethren. That was why he put it. And that always occurs when people are filled with the Holy Ghost and they are doing the work of the Lord. The first people that will be antagonists against you will be your family members. Christ said it. I had a similar experience that I've related in some of the other sermons where I was actually going from one town to another town and I planned within myself that instead of taking a taxi from my hometown, Jebubo to 12 miles away town, Jebode, which I had, I was still on a college campus there. I was still in college, but during that time there was a vacation, so I came home. And then I had a friend that was a college, my, my college friend that was working in the, in the next town. I said, well, let me go and stay with him for a few days before I go back to campus. That was my plan. So I told my parents, well, I will be going to Jebode tomorrow morning. So I said, okay. So I just came for vacation. But during that time, I was already preaching in the streets, preaching from village to village in, on campus. So I planned within myself that, way, we good idea. There's a villages through this road, and I will go through that road, and I will land on the road to Jebode. Instead of going through the major road by taxi, so I want to stop on every village and preach. Every village and preach. But me only, okay? But when I was, I didn't know that people have been thinking, this man that was talking in the streets to people, when I came on vacation, I always go into, into this town, my hometown, and try to talk to people. They think, I thought this man is a college student. Why is he talking to people about uh, religion? So they thought I was crazy. So on that day, I decided to walk, and I said, told my parents, I'm going to my daddy, I'm going to Jebel to survive. So I left. So, but instead of going to take a taxi, I walked and walked. So people that saw me through that village road, and I was going just by myself, just carrying a paper bag where I put some water bottle. Where I knew I would need some water or maybe uh, some snacks that I can eat if I get hungry and tired. So I have a paper bag, just a paper bag in my hand, and we're walking. So they, some people saw me and said, I went to tell my dad, didn't you say your son is in college? I saw him going through those villages. I think this boy is crazy. <laughs> if I go get hold of him. And that confused my dad. So he got some of the FT men into a truck. So let's go get him. Because of all the pressure like that. In fact, that was what I believe happened here also, where, the, where Mary and the brethren came to get him out of the streets. But see, on that day, to finish my story, they came. I was almost one mile, I've walked almost a mile, talked to people in the streets, and then I was to go to the next village. Or just any village that's on that road. I was not branching up, just on that road. That road is motorable, but it's not tarred road. The main one that was tarred road was going through another town to the town I was going. This one's like a shortcut. Anybody can know. But I knew that we, it will finally lead to the main road if I keep going, maybe about seven miles. I plan to do it. I started leaving around 10 a.m. So I just suddenly saw my, a truck coming behind me, and my dad was in the truck with two FT men in the back of the truck. And he told me that, I thought you said you are going to Jebul. I said, yeah, I'm going, but I want to go through this road and preach in the villages. He said, well, come inside. Let me, let's give you a ride to Jebul. I said, no, I'm not going to Jebul right away. 
I'm going to the village. He said, come inside, we'll get you to the next village. Okay, so I enter the front passenger seat. He moves aside and I stay there. And they drove on. And then they wanted to keep going. I said, no, don't keep going. This is the village I want to stop now. Stop right here. But my daddy respected me, be a college student. And I was the first person to go to college in my father's house. So they stopped in that village. And I said, and I stopped down. And I saw people in front of their house. It's getting 2 p.m. or something. So they were just sitting down. Maybe they finished their farming. And they were shouting, a man with his wife and some children, maybe about five or six people, in front of his house on, on their corridor. So I just started announcing to them, hey, hello, everybody. Jesus Christ loves you guys. Jesus Christ is coming soon. The end of the world is near. And you are about Jesus. And uh, fortunately, these people were churchgoers. So they just listened to me. And while I was coming down from the truck and talking to them, my daddy came out from the truck also and came to sit down with them. He actually knew those people. When they come to town, he knew them very well. So they just greeted him and he sat down and the FT men also stood around. And they listened to my sermon. And I invited them to give their life to Christ. And this man and his wives and the, they all kneeled down and I prayed for every one of them. And I told them to keep reading the Bible and going on. And I was telling my dad, well, you get go back home. Don't, don't waste your time trying to give me a ride. So I kept going. So then my daddy talked to those, that man who was like a little bit older than him that this uh, is my son. That was what we were trying to tell them, he's my son. And, and they, just, they just calmed him down and said, this man is not Christian. He has just told us the truth. The gospel he's preaching is sound doctrine. We are church goers ourselves. He's doing the work of God. So just rest your mind and go back home, like he said. That is how the Lord is leading him. My daddy was the one that told me that when I came back the next time, that those people, you are the one that comforted him that where well, this man is not Christian. Some people are making you think this man is being used by God and he has prayed for us. We knew it is God that was using this man. And my daddy knew that before I was born that somebody prophesied that your son, a son of yours, will be a minister of the gospel. Let's see, when the things hit the road, people get confused. The same thing with Mary. Mary knew about the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be great, it's going to be the son of God and so on, and this miracle started happening. And then these rulers started confusing Mary herself. So you know that sometimes people can get confused because of the pressure. And say, well, they said we should go and take him out of the house. Let's tell him. Let's go tell him to, to cool it. Or go to somewhere else. But they told me to not come to my hometown. My stepmother said, don't come to this hometown to preach. Go to somewhere else where they don't know you, please. Because all the people knew me before I went to college. And they knew me that I was in college. Now I came back talking, not talking college, I was talking religion. So that is how people can get. This is the end of chapter 12. And just like Christ said, he said, verse 50 of it said, Whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. And that is the same way. Anyone that believes in Lord Jesus Christ, we are believers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ will say, if you Forsake your mother or your father. You will have new mother and your father that believe like you. That's what he was telling the, uh, the disciples. He said, he that forsake it or you will receive hundredfold what you are forsaking. Land, farms, father, mother, parents that are believers like you. Of course, with persecution. But in the end, you have eternal life. God bless you. We continue this in the next chapter.